Hello and welcome to the new episode of Turn On Games, the only podcast that pretty much just comes out whenever and I don't have a time frame because I'm an idiot and maybe I should do that. Um, leave me alone. With us, we have uh, Shaziz. Shaziz. <laughs> don't worry, man. It's um, That's the... <laughs> No, it's uh, She Says. <laughs> she Says. Yeah. Brilliant. Um, probably better known through his YouTube video series, Boundary Break. Woo-woo. Woo-woo, indeed. Um, like, legitimately is one of my favorite YouTube shows oh, at the moment. Thanks, um, man. Genuinely is. In a weird way, I kind of... I don't watch live TV anymore, so sort of normal TV shows and sort of YouTube TV shows are squished together in my mind as just shows now, which I think is how it should be in the future. They're just shows. Yeah. YouTube's pretty much taken over my life. I barely watch any TV shows at all at this point. Yeah. Outside of Rick and Morty, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was about to say, like, outside of cartoons, (laughs) Yep, it's pretty much just YouTube shows. Um, Yeah. And, like, Boundary Break is genuinely one of my favourite shows at the moment. So even just outside of YouTube, just, like, actually just one of my favourite shows. Thank and you, whenever I go around to any of my, my friends' houses and stuff, I, went, I stayed with a friend for E3. I sort of showed him through, like, your entire playlist and stuff at the time, and he really digged it. And, yeah, everyone I'm showing it really enjoys it, and it is, like, a, a legitimately good show. Oh, dude. For, Thank you. For those people that may not have seen it, do you want to, like, briefly explain what it is? Well, I basically take the camera. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, just go through my whole spiel. Um, so if you've played any video game before, especially 3D ones, you'll notice that like at certain points in the game, you're not allowed to access certain areas. You can see environments off in the, the distance, but your character may never get a chance to actually go there. Uh, my show essentially takes away that that interest, that intrigue, and finally takes you to anywhere you want to go in a video game, whether it be below environment, above environment, inside the character models, or off in the distance. Um, the whole point of the show is to basically answer any interest you ever had as far as, uh, what your imagination thought of as far as these games. And, uh, in doing so, in the process of kind of doing the show, I've come to find out that there's a lot of unused assets and development techniques that goes in the games. And I found that to be incredibly interesting. And so that's been a huge mainstay of the show as well. Yeah. And it is like legitimately very interesting. And I find it interesting how, uh, You'll find that games sort of do similar things in regards to that. Like, you notice patterns. I've, I've started noticing a lot of sort of similar patterns that are happening in your in your videos with how developers sort of leave certain things in certain ways and the sort of tricks that they use and stuff. It's, it's, it's very interesting to see sort of a... It's like a behind-the-scenes kind of look at how people make games, really. It's, it's... Yeah, it's incredibly interesting. Oh, yeah. Like, for example, like, lately, it's just... There's been a lot of cubes in each game that I've covered. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Weird, mysterious cubes. Patent cubes. Yeah. Um, and apparently, they, they serve a purpose. Uh, I guess uh, if you're going to play an Unreal Engine game and go outside the boundaries, it just seems to be that there will be a cube somewhere on the map. <laughs> I, I don't know what it is about Unreal in specific, but uh, it seems that... Uh, I was talking with, like, some developers, and they were saying something along the lines of, like, it's just... it. It's more of a headache to take out the cubes than it is to leave them in, and they use them for like test data and stuff like that. It's really interesting. Yeah. Do you end up talking to developers fairly often now? Because I know you obviously spoke with the ukulele developers. Have you just had them sort of come to you now? Are they just like telling you about things? Yes and no. Um, I've been having a lot more developers approach me about the invitation to ask them whatever. Um, not so often do I hear developers just try to teach me stuff or anything like that it's a very like uh open invitation type deal um and so now i have this added benefit of 
having a true developer insight whenever there's stuff that's just completely like it's uh, it's impossible to just kind of interpret it and just figure it out on your own you know it's like really odd things so uh, thankfully now i've been able to have like direct feed answers from people who actually work on games which is pretty sweet but uh to answer your question no I, it's really more i have to contact them still but at least i know who they are at this point and who's willing to cooperate developers can be kind of weirdly secretive about things even things you wouldn't think would matter that much yeah. Like these techniques, I, I don't really know why there would need to be that secretive about it, but I can imagine that a lot of them are. Yeah, a lot of it. The big thing is um, the video game industry is a lot different from the movie industry. Um, with the movie industry, they see behind the scenes stuff as like perks, you know, reasons to, mm. to further sell a product um, as far as their movies go. But with video games, they like to be very hush hush. They like to keep their doors closed. And uh, I guess it's uh, all about keeping trade secrets, kind of staying a step above the competition with what they know and what they can do to maximize the um, potential of a game. So they like, I guess that's the big reason. And then outside of that, you know, there's a lot of, they've had to basically make, um, non-disclosure agreements from the get-go so that no one could leak information about their new games to the general public because that became like a, a huge thing you know um, a huge point of interest to, to consumers so they've been writing non-disclosure agreements for a very long time and i think it's just over time it's now evolved to you can't say anything about a game even if it's been out otherwise you're getting the boot and you know it serves multiple purposes but i also feel like the industry in itself is just very familiar with non-disclosure and so they've just kind of expanded it to the point where a developer can't speak freely about a game they haven't even been involved in you know yeah it's a very old um situation really i i guess uh, everyone because it's the easiest thing to do really will make the comparison between movies and video games so often that i think a lot of people just assume that they work in incredibly similar ways but they really just they just don't <laughs> It's, they're totally different industries that work in totally different ways. Um, yeah. Thing is with things like this, though, with Boundary Break, I've seen a lot of sort of, how do I explain it, very sort of specific video game shows pop up recently um, because I think people have started to become super interested in stuff like that. So, And I love stuff like that. I love something that takes a specific uh, sort of element about video games and focuses on that and sort of gains expertise in that one area. I think it's amazing. Um, yeah, it's just nice to be able to have, like, in-depth look at very specific parts of video games. In your case, obviously, off-the-camera stuff, and then you've got other shows that will look at the, the music and will, like, detail that. And, and, and you know, it's just, it's incredibly interesting, and it's, it's nice that that has an audience now. I don't think that that really even existed, like, five years ago. Yeah, well, there's, like, um, you know, I, I'm becoming really good friends with Beta64 and A Plus Start, and they've been around for a long time. Mm. Uh expanding that genre of entertainment or edutainment uh, has been really difficult. Like a lot of people haven't really put their minds to work as far as, uh, as far as figuring out what they could do to expand this area of entertainment. And um, yeah, you've started, there started to be kind of like a uprising of stuff like this. And you see it, saw it from time to time, like with um, Pan and Koic, um who did basically, he just dedicated himself to Super Mario 64 uh, mm. People found that absolutely fascinating, um, and uh, while he wasn't a direct influence of mine, you know, I've seen many stuff like his. He he kind of uh, was the the roots that made a tree branch, like a tree with many branches of videos like his. Then you got like Strider Seven X um, doing the Paper Mario dedicated videos. Mm -hmm. um, Magic Scrumpy was doing Melee for a while, and then he kind of 
I don't know. I guess he moved on to Super Mario Sunshine. I thought, I guess maybe he thought that'd be more lucrative or something. I don't know. But, um, yeah, I watched all these guys and it's all very interesting stuff. And so when a lot of people have already heard the origin story of Boundary Break, but one of the things I never really talked about is how I've kind of developed my style for the show. And, um, one of the things I did was I looked at all of these types of videos and I was thinking like, what can I do to improve it? Because one of the things that I found while watching all these videos was I, it didn't hold my interest particularly. Like there was things that were interesting about it, but I would never want to subscribe to any of these people. No offense to them. Um, mm. and they're do, all doing just fine for the record. So it's not, I'm not saying that they're doing anything wrong by mentioning this, but I thought like, you know, there's so many like really interesting YouTubers out there very, that are very fun to watch, like the angry video game nerd and all that other stuff or, uh, pro Jared. So like I kind of drew influence from how to curate the information from those people, not necessarily take anything directly from them. But at the same time, I was thinking like they're, they're high energy. They're a lot of fun and they're not mm-hmm. irritating or cringy. And so like, that's, that's how I kind of evolved. My show was like, you know, I want to take information. I want to make it so that you can learn something from the show, but at the same time, I don't want you to fall asleep while watching it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And as I say, there's a lot of different shows that I've found that are doing that, and not all of them have managed to find popularity, which is unfortunate. For example, there's another YouTuber, I can't remember his name, but he's, I think he lectures like English at a university as a job. He will like study and sort of dissect the narrative of video games, and they're like hour-long videos, you know? He did like a Bioshock one, it was like an hour-long sort of study of the narrative of video games, and that's his thing. Hmm. And then there's another um, YouTuber who is a psychologist by nature, and they will study the psychology of video games. And it's just nice to have these different perspectives of games in completely different areas. Uh, your your channel is actually doing quite well now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was, uh, I just did, I just looked back to see, like, how fast I've been progressing. And apparently, it took me about, I think it took me over a year to get 100,000 subscribers. Just only a little over a year, I believe. And then um, I actually made a tweet at one point mentioning how when I reached 150,000 subscribers, which took uh, three months, I think. And I, that was a huge deal because that was a jump from one year to three months. Hmm. And so um, once I hit 200,000 subscribers, I was able to use that as uh, a reference point to how many subscribers I got in what amount of time. And apparently now I've gone, I've gotten an additional 50,000 subscribers in two months. So it just keeps rolling faster and faster which is insane to me. I don't even know how this is happening. <laughs> it's incredible. As your sort of library of games that you've covered goes, I suppose more people are going to be searching for that specific game. And so, you know, the, the more you do, the uh, obviously, the, the more you're going to have. Yeah, it's super interesting. I really like the idea of it just becoming like this, almost like an encyclopedia of games, which is like, let's study every game. It's like, because uh, I remember you were tweeting... You you find it odd sometimes about which videos end up doing well, mm-hmm. and which don't. Um, I think I I might be misremembering this, but but were you let down by Ratchet and Clank's views, or you thought it would do better than it did, or something? Oh yeah, yeah. Ratchet and Clank, and specifically, it was like uh, you know so many videos leading up to that were kind of giving me the impression that Ratchet and Clank would do well, but at the same time, um, I was never a huge fan of Ratchet and Clank, so like it was in the back of my mind just how successful the franchise does on a YouTube space. Um, but I mean, everybody always talks about Ratchet and Clank, maybe not necessarily on YouTube, but whenever a new game comes out, I always hear rumblings either like uh, in real life and stuff like that. 
Um, Sony puts it on at a high regard. Uh, so I just thought they were like, you know, heavy hitter franchise for Sony. And um, mm. I put the video out and it did like a staggeringly low amount of views compared to other videos that I've done. Now, the number, whoever's listening to this is probably going to go, go like, what is wrong with that number? I'd love that any day of the week. But uh, <laughs> I'm about to give you a little bit of perspective after I tell you. Um, it got 40,000 views in like the first week. Um, mm. Now that doesn't sound too bad at all, but perspectively, uh, I've been known to get over a hundred thousand views in a week, and sometimes reach over two hundred thousand if it does incredibly well. So forty thousands, like by my channel standards at this point, is underperforming. Um, although, fun fact, uh, over time, it's it's gotten over a hundred thousand views, which I can't say for every episode I've ever put out. There's some that are still doing bad to this day. Right. I mean, I suppose I haven't really seen any analysis videos in Ratchet and Clank at all, really. That might be it. So <laughs> it's like no one's no one's searching it. But if they are, yours is going to be one of them that, that comes up first because there just aren't that many analysis videos on it. But the way I see it, it's like even if it doesn't perform as well as the other ones, it's like just nice to have that in your sort of library, if you know what I mean. It's just nice to be like, okay, well, I've covered that game. That's great. And people like that game. It's there. And yeah, I just like the idea of it just being like a crazy like range of video games and oh, stuff. Oh yeah. Well that's that's essentially one of my biggest goals is to have as like as wide of an audience as possible. Like to mm. to cover as wide of a variety of games as possible because like I don't I love Nintendo, but I don't want to be pigeonholed to Nintendo, you know? And uh as much as I love it and as much as I love to cover those games, um there are so many different types of gamers out there, you know? And I don't like I, I right now I'm very thankful to be one of the very few, if not like the only person covering this uh particular area of expertise there's i have a couple of um imitators now at this point but um you know for the most part i'm pretty much the only guy doing this and uh if i kind of just you know sleep on a certain type of games that just kind of is an invitation for someone else to just do it in my place and quite frankly yeah yeah, quite frankly I, i would just like to be able to to provide it for everybody um because no matter what, it's still interesting it's interesting to me at the end of the day, you know? Even games I've never played before, not only do I get a chance to play them for the first time and see what people, you know, found so, so great about them, but also it's still the, just the inner, working, inner workings of any game is just, like, incredibly interesting to me. Yeah, I mean, I, I, do, I do the same with my viewing patterns of your videos. I, I watch them all, including the ones I haven't played. Oh, I mean, you. I'm an all-over gamer anyway, so I will just play anything. I'm not like a, a console specific fanboy or anything even with the the games i haven't played to just find out how they work and stuff i just find it incredibly interesting with the nintendo thing is the nintendo thing because audience wise it works well or is it because that there are just more tools out there for those specific games well there's definitely more tools for them for sure uh but not, not so much about the audience again i i am a nintendo guy i mean i'm not exclusive nintendo i do love PlayStation and Xbox when they come out with franchises that interest me, like Gears of War, um, mm. Last Guardian, and all that stuff, and many, many more. But um, generally speaking, I grew up with Nintendo, so it's really, really fun to do something that's just so ingrained in my childhood and take it apart, you know, and see what's going on with that game. Uh, I find that just more personally interesting to me. But at the same time, I also balance that with um, audience expectations. So, like, I love... Star Tropics, but you haven't seen a Star Tropics episode yet because I just don't think enough people would watch it, unfortunately. Right. Um, but then alternatively, uh, compromise there is 
lots and lots of people have played Super Mario Bros. 3. And, uh, man, it was a lot of fun for me to cover that game. So more than happy to cover games that I played and loved that people, uh, you know, played in mass, but at the same time too, you know, like I said, um, I'm working on Uncharted and I've never beaten the original Uncharted one. I actually, uh, wasn't into it really. And then two and three, and I haven't tried four yet, but two and three were amazing games and I played mm-hmm. through those entirely. So I can't wait to cover those ones cause I've actually played and beaten them. But as far as Uncharted one goes, you know, like if it was just to play it up for me, uh, I could have just passed on this one, but because I know that so many people have been asking about Uncharted, how am I going to say no, you know? Yeah. So at some point you said like Star Tropics. Will there be a point where you think you would just end up doing passion projects like for the sake of it, even if you know that the audience might not necessarily be there? Or are you too, would you say you're too dedicated to making sure that people are actually getting what they want? Or would you just do it? Because uh, yeah. I, think, I think you should. <laughs> I, 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 would be, I would be interested in seeing like, any game. It doesn't matter to me whether it's popular or not. Uh, see, I wish my entire audience was just like you, Ryan, but it's, it's, yeah. just, it's just not quite there. Unfortunately, there's so many people that uh, cherry pick. Even when they're subscribed, they, they cherry pick what interests them, unfortunately. Um, yeah. And that's the, uh, that's the huge caveat to my channel. Like uh, Someone like Pro Jared, um, Angry Video Game Nerd, uh, people that are just the personalities really sell the channel. They can cover any game that they want. They can talk about almost anything that they want and they'll just rake in the views and it's totally fine. And they're just very comfortable no matter what they decide to do. Uh, unfortunately for me, even though people say all the time that they like me as a, you know, a narrator, as a person making the videos, they don't, a lot of people don't come from me. Unfortunately, I, you know, <laughs> I don't have a big enough ego to even suggest that, but. But um, even then, even then they come for the idea though. They're not just coming because I like Pokemon. This is a Pokemon video. They're coming for the idea and how it's executed and stuff. Yeah. So I think, I definitely think at some point there will be a point where you can just do whatever you want. Yeah. I'm hoping like it's, uh, that's the thing is. If I get an, like enough, a big enough install base where like, like say like, uh, at, at a certain point now, um, 100,000 views is now on the low end instead of 40,000. That can pay rent and get me some food. Um, but yeah, <laughs> but, uh, unfortunately, right. Yeah. Right now, if I do something very obscure, it just kind of kills me for that week. And it takes a lot of work to make these videos. So it's like, yeah, yeah. You know, I can't like, um, I can't like just put all in on something have it kind of flub and then be like, Oh, you know what? We'll, we'll get them next week because, um, unfortunately that means no food. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Right, yeah. Uh, so like two things, either two things need to happen. It's either one is the install base needs to be high enough where it just doesn't matter anymore. Um, sure. It'll get less views than some other high profile game, but it'll still be enough to, to help me financially or two. Um, I get enough support on Patreon to the point where it just doesn't matter how many views I get on YouTube, you know, just like, yeah. boom, you know, I, I, everyone's taking care of me at this point. So, uh, I'll just put out whatever game you guys want. You know, if you guys want Phoenix Wright as a game, you know, we'll do it. <laughs> um, but that's actually, that's why I think you saw it. It was the, the mega poll that I just recently put out. Yeah. Yeah. That's why, um, that's why I put that out there is because while, I'm, I might think I know what my audience wants. Um, something like that makes it concrete to figure out what people are actually interested in or not. So the, the games that are sitting at the bottom of that poll right now, those are games that probably won't cover for a very, very long time because, uh, the, the audience just had made it clear, you know, they, they don't have any interest in watching it, but that poll is going to be up for a very long time. So, uh, you know, over time I can find out what my audience as a whole actually wants and not just followers on Twitter or whatever. You know? Right. So, are there any 
are there any games that like people request a lot that you were just like what the hell where did that come from <laughs> uh, spongebob for battle for bikini bottom is definitely <laughs> number one <laughs> does this make any sense to me uh, i you know it's either one or two things. Either it's a humongous meme that I'm not aware of, or two, it's, um, there's a lot of little kids that grew up with this game and they're just, they, I swear up and down it's a fantastic game and they just want to see more videos on something like that. I don't know, but, um, I, <laughs> right now I don't have an interest in it, although we might be actually covering it on Game Club Podcast. So maybe it'll just completely change my mind about the whole game. I don't know. I should have put it on the Megapole, but I forgot. It's probably a bit of both. It's probably that people people really did grow up um, playing games like that until the PS2 era and stuff. And it's just one of those games that's like, people expect it to be quite amusing. People expect there to be, <laughs> like, weird things to see, I think, in the video. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, like, there. I think someone said that there was a lot of interesting stuff that happens in that game. So, um, you know, they might be right. It might really just be a genuine curiosity. I can't tell. I really can't tell, man, because <laughs> up to that point, up to being to the, to the point of being a YouTube creator, I've never heard anybody talk about this game. So, uh, you know, you tell me. <laughs> Are there any games that, uh, that you specifically, other than sort of Star Trek, that you specifically want to do that you just know you can't right now? Uh, Last Guardian would be great. That not only was that not popular enough sales wise, but uh, it's long ways away because it was a PS4 exclusive. So right. like I don't even have a means to try to do it. Metal Gear Solid Three, I think I could get someone on it, but at the same time, it's not super duper popular. That it really warrants um, exhausting uh, some very talented people that want to help me out. Right now, I just kind of have like. Um, hackers helping me make certain episodes possible and i'm making sure that it's some of the most requested games um like pokemon snap for example was impossible to do mm. at a certain point but then we had uh banjo's backpack get on it and those folks over there uh made a ground up camera in game for pokemon snap and uh then it became possible and that episode was a humongous success and i, I knew it was going to be a success because so many people kept asking for it over and over again and I wanted to cover Pokemon for such a long time. What a popular franchise, and what a great franchise, you know? So, yeah, uh, I was very happy to finally get that episode out, because it was almost like making a dream come true for a lot of people, it felt like. I, I've always wondered about um, how that works tool-wise. So I assume some of these tools must have existed before you started doing the show, but then is it that because of this show, more people are helping you build tools for more games? More or less. Um, I think... For the most part, what it has helped with was uh, there's a lot of people that were working on these sort of cameras to to begin with, and due to the exposure of the show, they've approached me about it, and sometimes I've right. gotten like exclusive access to cameras that the general public hadn't had yet, which is really cool. Like the Splatoon episode was um, something that started off with, it was completely closed off to the public, and the, the person who made the code gave it to me exclusively. And I was able to be the very first person to show a lot of things that nobody, not even in the, the hacking community, had seen yet, which was really, really cool. And uh, only so far in only two cases, I believe, we've, uh, we've had people actually make the camera specifically for Boundary Break. And that was, um, again, Pokemon Snap was one, and the other one was Crash Bandicoot. Crash Bandicoot, there was no interest in making a camera for it because it was such a complicated game and there was not a lot to see. Um, and then uh, Neko Run, who I talk about all the time, he always helps out in small ways, but uh, Crash Bandicoot was the first game where a camera that he made uh, fully realized was um, used entirely for the show. So 
you know, again, Nickarun, if you're listening to this, thank you so much, man. But yeah, that, those, those are two games where it was made specifically for Boundary Break. Um, the ukulele one, I don't even think was made for me. I think the guy, um, was already in the middle of it. He was like, you know, knee deep into it. And then I guess he was already a fan of the show and he was like, Hey, she says, you want to use this? And I'm like, Oh yeah, <laughs> let's do it. But yeah, outside of that though, uh, it's mostly, um, resources that have been already made public in the past. That ukulele one is probably your most recent game you've covered? Yeah, I think so. I think that's definitely the most recent game. I mean, that tool was done... Because I can't... I'll be honest, I don't even pretend to know how those tools are even made. So <laughs> Yeah, by the way, thanks for hooking me up uh, with the developers. <laughs> Platonic, oh, yeah. That well, was I you. I just did a tweet. It was. I just did a tweet, but... Twitter is super useful for stuff like that. <laughs> oh, I know. But you're it's... the man, dude. Thank you for that. That was That made the episode so much better. Yeah, the episode was great. Um... I'm glad you liked it. Yeah. Are there any games that just straight up don't work? Like, again, I don't know how the tools work. So are there just some where you've been like, I want to do that. And then it's just like, oh, I definitely can't do that. That's never going to happen. Never going to happen. Um, well, I would have said that about Crash Bandicoot. But hey, mm. it's one of the fastest uh, viewed episodes on my channel. So I guess I was wrong. Um, yeah. Like I, Again, uh, I think mostly it's going to be a lack of content. Um, I try to push over 10 minutes now and I try not to cheese it. I try to make sure it's like genuinely I found 10 minutes worth of stuff for you to look at because again, like it, it hurts the channels in so many ways if you do a shorter video these days and like, uh, uh like a one minute episode, uh, one minute video hurts you just as much as an eight minute video. In fact, I think an eight minute video hurts you more because uh, people are less invested in watching the entire thing. And, uh, you know, then the analytics says, oh, they didn't watch the entire video. Oh, it's under 10 minutes. Let's just kind of give them a pat on the head for that. But like, it's not going to be like, you know, oh, this, we need this guy. Um, it's weird. There's like a little robot on YouTube. I'm sure you're very familiar with called the mm. algorithm. And, uh, for a while I've been testing this for over a year now, seeing like what works, what doesn't, um, paying very close attention to the channel's growth, depending on what my actions are and what I cover and everything else. And, um, yeah, if you do, this is uh, important if you're a, um, aspiring YouTube creator, uh, at this moment, if you make a video over 10 minutes long, then YouTube will be happy because they could put more ads on the video. And as much as, you know, you want to say like, oh, I want it for my money. I literally will put more ads on the video because I, I saw the difference. It basically like, um, future videos would get recommended a whole lot more when the videos were over 10 minutes and there was like three ads on them. Um, now I don't even expect people to watch them. In fact, if you're watching this right now, I am not mad at you if you use ad block. I'm not. I know a lot of YouTube creators, uh, really hate ad block for very sp easy to figure out reasons. Um, me personally, it's, it's so convenient and, uh, I'm not going to tell you not to use it. Um, but with that said, that's why I put three, uh, three ads on my videos is because when I started doing that, um, I noticed the analytics for how often the videos were being recommended on home pages skyrocketed, just went way up. And when I started <laughs> putting videos out that were under 10 minutes, it would gradually go down. It would start to go down more and more. And, you know, even if the, the episode was tight, you know, it was something that I was really proud of, it, it wouldn't matter. <laughs> it wouldn't matter how popular the game was either. So, um, that's odd. I, uh, yeah. I hadn't really considered that ads could affect the algorithm like that. Oh, yeah. If, if your videos are valuable to YouTube, if you upload frequently and you upload over 10 minutes, because over 10 minutes means that you can make YouTube more money, YouTube mm. ends up valuing your channel more and more. Um, 
And as long as you stay consistent with that, uh, again, so like three things, the Triforce of success, it seems on YouTube is consistency, a schedule and, um, and over 10 minutes long. That's what it seems like so far. I, I don't know what else it could really be. Because when I was kind of fiddling around with the whole process, that's what I was noticing was um, when you don't fall into those three basic um, advice tools, it does. It affects your channels, uh, channel in some way. Uh, I guess, there's, I mean, there's all these behind the scene things even with YouTube. It's, it's like <laughs> all these all these things that people, I suppose most people wouldn't even know about that can, that creators have to be aware of and make sure they meet criteria. And so it's, uh, it's a weird place really, YouTube. Oh yeah, it's very stressful too because nothing's explicitly said to you. You know, there isn't like a, yeah. a packet that tells you what you need to do. Like, uh, it's not like a, a traditional job where your boss comes up to you and tells you what he what he expects out of you. Uh, you're kind of feeling around in the, in the dark, and the best you can do is go to the nearest person with a candle <laughs> and uh, try to f get advice from him or her. But um, even they can be wrong about things. I could be wrong right now. Uh, I'm just telling you what's worked for my channel so far. I think at the end of the day, obviously, it's about having a unique idea that's really kind of helped the channel grow so fast. But, hmm. you know, even with my, my idea, it's, it's still like um, fluctuates in success depending on what I do with it. So that's... Um, that's just, you know, my experience, I guess. I guess I'm not giving you the definitive answers here, but definitely <laughs> telling you how, uh, at least what I'm doing and how it's working out for me so far. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things I'm going to, I mean, I'm going to be like every other person here, but it's it's one of those things that I've obviously considered doing myself as well, like YouTube. But it's, I mean, A, I don't know how to edit videos, so I would need to spend a lot of time figuring that out first anyway. But then B, it's it's all those things, like the algorithm and stuff. It's like, oh, I'm going to have to spend a lot of time working all this stuff out. So I just haven't. I just well, haven't. Well, you know, it, it's not something that you need to worry about immediately. It wasn't something I thought about immediately. Uh, yeah, yeah. You just make an idea and do it, and then you go, oh, I want to build this now. But Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You grow into it. It's like, for me, uh, you know, when I started doing it, it wasn't. I didn't even have the prospect of success in mind. I just thought it was cool, and I wanted to share it with people. Um, and then people really took to it. And it was just really exciting to have anybody watch my videos, like in any capacity. And I would have been fully content with just a, an audience of 2000 subscribers, you know? Um, I probably wouldn't be as committed to getting episodes out weekly. Um, I think at a certain point, I've kind of like burnt out a little bit. And so like now I kind of, I have to kind of push myself to, to put these mm -hmm. videos out and stay on schedule. But, um, you know, I'd still put out often just to a small group of people and make no money whatsoever. And I'd still stay, stand by that to this day. Like if I made absolutely no money off of YouTube, if YouTube just suddenly one day was like, we lost all advertisers. It's just a free platform now. Sorry to say, I'll still put out videos for everybody. Um, it just wouldn't be as often because I'd have to do a full-time job and stuff, obviously, you know, but that's my point is, <laughs> is, uh, really you want to start with an idea. You want to do something that you find fun, you know? And, um, and just explore that and it, you'll have so much fun creating ways to improve the, the way you present it. I promise you that, um, you'll never really be content with how things are now. You always kind of want to think to yourself, Oh, how can I make this just a little bit better without wasting a month, you know, <laughs> working on the video. Um, and so, yeah, it just, uh, just, just go in with that mindset first. I'm definitely giving you a perspective of someone that's been doing this for over a year now, clearly. Um, <laughs> um, but if we were to rewind back, 
a year and some change, uh, I would I would definitely tell you the the number one, and this is actually still true to this day. The number one thing you need to succeed on YouTube is to have something unique, but also something people would want to see. Yeah. Um, and that that applies itself to either how you are, like who you are, or um, what you what you are providing. Um, so like if you're a reviewer, you can't be JonTron, you can't be Peanut Butter Gamer. You got to yeah. be you, and you got to figure out what it is that you can do um, to set yourself apart and be liked. You know, it's not enough to be different. You can't just be like the carrot top of YouTubers. Because <laughs> I don't know if you've uh, found out about this or not, but carrot top was not a success. People did not like him. So <laughs> yeah, just a uh, big thing is, uh, of course, not be cringy. Like that's the biggest thing, of course. But not be uh, cringy. Yeah, do not be cringy. But like the the second thing is obviously. Um, what can you offer that sets yourself apart from everyone else on the YouTube space? And those two things often are the same thing, really. It's like people are people come across as cringeworthy <laughs> <laughs> when they're trying to uh, emulate another YouTuber. Oh yeah, which you see a lot. Like as you said, like JonTron's a great example. You see YouTubers try and be JonTron and sort of emulate his style, and it does come off super cringeworthy because you can see that they're trying too hard to be something that there is not natural to them they're just trying to be another youtuber and it doesn't work like that's why these youtubers are big names because they have as you say either an original idea or their genuine own personality is brought forward into their content um yeah it's interesting yeah it's funny it's like i've seen those youtube impersonators too and like i always get this like visual analogy in my head of like john tron like spent a long time sculpting his little clay model and it came out perfectly finally after so many years. And then you got all these imitators and it's just kind of like a deformed lumpy version of what John John's trying to do when you didn't have to try to sculpt for that, that particular model in the first place, you could have been a great illustrator this whole time and you never knew it, you know? So I, t I recommend just looking at things like, it's like, that's a great sculpture, man. That's really inspiring. But like, what can I do? to get the same kind of audience that this man did, you know, without doing the same sculpture. And, uh, that's that, I don't know if you want an analogy that just took itself too far. <laughs> there you go. I mean, it's like any other medium, really. It's like, don't plagiarize, but be inspired by it. Like, obviously you can take inspirations from people. Just don't copy the whole bloody thing. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I was, what I was going to ask before we, advise people about starting youtube <laughs> yeah that, that derailed so much i'm sorry well, i mean it's it's useful it's you know, <laughs> i'm sure there will be people listening that actually want to start youtube channels and hopefully that's somewhat useful for them oh, i hope so too yeah but uh are there any games that you've sort of started uh making a video on or that you've just realized there's no content here yep uh pokey park Wii was the first one that's ever happened um Oh really? Yeah, I was on top of the world at that during that time, and I was like, "Oh, I'll just do whatever you guys want." And like, there was just this one kid who kept uh, messaging or commenting every week. He's like, "I want Poké Park Wii," and I was like, "Ah, oh, you know what, man? Got you covered." I knew nothing about the game whatsoever, and uh, I put it to work, and there was literally nothing. There was not a single thing. It all takes place on one island, 
and you get a good shot of the island at, at a certain point, so there's not even a good zoom out there, and there's just nothing inside the walls, nothing inside the characters, nothing at all. Uh, so I was like, yikes, and I spent like four days trying to figure out, oh. yeah, and uh, nothing, nothing, man. So, <laughs> um, that was the first big one. That was the first one that was like, nope, um, just cannot be done at all. Um, trying to think of any others that might have been like that, but seriously, I, um, stop making clean games, developers. Yeah, stop that. <laughs> be as messy <laughs> as you want. Uh, Sonic the Hedgehog was another one where I was like, oh yeah, let me. Sonic the Hedgehog's huge. Let me try this out. And um, as in the original, the original game, right? The original game, and um. You know, using the same techniques that I used on Super Mario Brothers 3, um, it just did not work out. It was like, you know, there's nothing underneath these layers and stuff like that. Um, you can use the debug menu to move Sonic wherever you want anyway, so it's kind of like, what am I showing here that no one's ever seen before? There's two for you. Those are the only two that I can really think of off the top of my head. I suppose 2D games in general must just be a little bit more difficult, nah. oddly, because you wouldn't think that... Well, I wouldn't have thought before I saw your 2D game uh, videos that there would be as much as there would be in a 3D realm. That's what I love, man. behind the camera. Yeah, well, that's what I love about my show in general. Like, one of the things I love so much is, like, being told I can't do something, and then I do it. Like, a lot of people told me, like, um, you can't do a Crash Bandicoot episode. Like, it can't be done. And it's like, look it. Some people are like, in theory, there's nothing to see because uh, th there isn't even culling. It just loads in the environment in real time. So if you zoom it out, there's nothing to see. And it's just like, oh, yeah, I guess you're right. Uh, like, I, that was one of the few times where I was like, you're wrong, you know, and I'm going to show you why you're wrong. Um, it was just, this was like one of those times where I was like, yeah, I guess you're right. And then um, just so many people are asking for Crash Bandicoot when Insane, Insane Trilogy was like on the rise. And I was like, you know what? All right, we'll do a mini episode. And in doing the mini episode, I was like, oh, man, we're, I'm so close to enough clips here to do a full episode. You know what, man? I'm just going to do it. I'm going to figure out a way to get this up to 10 minutes. And I did. And it was, again, one of the most successful episodes. Um, Earthbound was another one. Like, But the 2D. Yeah. yeah, 2D was like the thing where it was like, you can't do 2D. What is there to even see? And like, I was so excited. Like... Uh, that was one of the times where everyone was just being like, nope, can't be done. I can't see this being a thing. She says, J you know, that's cute, but I don't think you can really do anything. And I'm just like behind the scenes like, <laughs> you know, like uh, practically rubbing my hands like a mad scientist back here. And I'm just like, oh, you guys don't know. You guys don't know. Oh, just wait. Just you wait. And um, it, yeah, Earthbound was a huge success. I wasn't expecting it to be. I was like, I'll be happy with 70,000 views for this because, again, it's so way off base from what I've been doing before. Um, it's also not a, a terribly popular game. Uh, I'll be happy with 70,000. And, like, I'm on vacation. I actually was at Disney World during this time, and I managed to get Earthbound and a Wind Waker remake episode done in one week. And so, like, they were both slotted to you know, do one week after the other so I could just enjoy Disney. And, um, yeah, like, I'm like, I'm, I'm in, uh, I forget which one, Epcot. I'm at Epcot and I look at, I was like, oh, let me check my phone real quick. And people are like, congratulations on the 100,000. I was like, what? <laughs> I look at the vi <laughs> views on the video and it's got over a hundred thousand views. And I was like, no kidding. Wow. That's amazing. So like, I kind of, I surprised myself. Um, <laughs> it was a fantastic episode, though. Still one of my favorites. Yeah, I mean, uh, some of the two D ones are my are, are some of my favorites. Like, I I, I loved the Earthbound one, um, the Chrono Trigger one. Oh uh, yeah. As well. 
Thank you. It's, yeah, it just it just surprises me that they come out as well as they do the two D ones. I really, uh, I think the first what was the first one I watched of yours? Um, I think it was Bioshock was the first episode I saw of yours. So you must have enjoyed the Infinite one that just came out. Yes, yeah, yeah. And uh, when I first started watching the show, I wouldn't really have considered that a two D game would have worked so well. Uh, if I'm honest, like the off the off camera thing is not something I had considered in general before your before seeing your show. It wasn't really something that I thought about. That has always interested me, sort of the behind the scenes parts of well did did you even know it was possible before the, sh- the show no i didn't know that the tools existed and stuff that people could actually do it no oh uh, yeah no i knew that developers left stuff about but i didn't know that there was a way to actually sort of do what you do in the videos right so like outside of the cutting room floor um which again that wasn't really a site that i visited all that often but I've, i was aware of it um just for the record because i know a lot of people there's a very very small number of people that think i have ripped off the cutting room floor the guys themselves don't even think that's the case in fact they love the show because i show off many things that have nothing to do with the cutting room floor um so they themselves are viewers of the show and if you guys are listening to this hey guys what's going on (laughs) i love your website um but i was just gonna say to add to the point um Outside of the cutting room floor, which doesn't really go into great depths of how how to do this um, this sleuthing for uh, hidden content, um, there really wasn't anything that kind of even showed off this these uh, hidden artifacts and games. Um, and if they ever did, again, they they just kept it really hush hush. So like even myself didn't really know that there was like a whole mess of games that could do um, you know free look, free view um, off camera, but. Again, I, I stumbled upon it by accident, and I showed off one clip from one game with no commentary uh, on my own channel, and then apparently someone shared it on Reddit, and uh, it did well on Reddit, and I was thankful for that, but I wasn't a fan of Reddit, so I didn't know how to measure the success of that. Um, and then it showed up on one of my favorite websites, which was Go Nintendo, And so mm-hmm. I've always wanted to be a YouTuber, my my channel has existed for three years, um, but I didn't have a direction. Um, the, the only thing I knew from just listening to so many people give so much advice is what I already said a moment ago, which is uh, have an idea that separates yourself from everyone else or be somebody that separates yourself from everyone else. And um, once I saw how well that raw clip did, you know, just a janky raw clip with nothing of real interest other than just looking at the game from a different angle, that's when I knew. I was like, this is a big deal. And uh, I can definitely work this into a formatted show. I just didn't know what direction the show was going to go in until a couple episodes in. Because if you watch the first few episodes, it really is just like looking at Smash Brothers stages from other angles. Because at that time, that was all that people showed a huge interest in, was just looking at a game from another angle. So that's mm. all I did for Super Smash Brothers Brawl. But uh, as you see over time... Um, there's a lot of meat and potatoes in the show that I never considered, which is just like looking for developer techniques, developer artifacts, and unused uh, items that are just left in the environment. Yeah, I mean, you see some crazy stuff sometimes. I love it. I love uh, stuff like, for for those that haven't watched the show, you, you need to watch the show. And uh, <laughs> yeah, there are some crazy stuff that go on that developers leave around. Like, I love it when they shrink down parts of models when they're not on camera. Like, shrink down to tiny size and oh, stuff like too. that. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> like, like uh, Wind Waker with the Lou. Just like, let's shrink down his tail because it's not in view and it's just itty bitty, itty bitty tail. <laughs> itty bitty living space. Um, 
No, yeah, like uh, like the swords for Gandorf, they're like the size of toothpicks uh, yeah. on the palm of his hand. Uh, when I saw that, I lost my mind. I was like, no way! Uh, <laughs> and ever since then, actually, that was... It's funny that you mentioned Valu's tail, because ever since the toothpick uh, sword from Ganondorf, that's when I've really cared about shrinking and uh, resizing of objects and seeing where they go. Because I was like, well, if it happens for Ganondorf, who's to say it's not happening in all these other games where things shrink down, you know? How far does it go before it disappears entirely? And then it wasn't until the ukulele episode that I learned that sometimes objects will just flat out disappear because the size of the object is zero. There's a numerical mm. value added to these objects. So when you uh, when you shrink it down, um, if it goes to one, it'll be super duper tiny and you can still see it. But if it goes down to zero, then it's just gone. Um, it's outside of the player's view because it's just it's not even a size anymore. It's just non-existent. Some crazy stuff. Was there anything else in particular that you wanted to talk about? Um, no, I don't think so. <laughs> uh, Fair enough. Yeah, I might be going to a new convention, although that's not confirmed. Um, it's just called a video game con, and it's in New Jersey. And uh, not a lot of email exchanges back and forth, but from what I have gotten back from the people that run the sh- the convention. They're kind of interested. Um, they're saying, like, you know, we'd love to have you as a guest. Uh, let me just talk with the coordinator. So I'm waiting to hear back from them. So I might be there, maybe. I don't know if that's really anything worth talking about here. <laughs> I'm just trying to think of anything. But no, I, I, th- I think that's basically it. One last thing, then, before we wrap up. What is in the pipeline at the moment? So basically, um, everything that you saw on the, the voting page that I recently put up, and it's going to start mm-hmm. showing up in all the, the links in all of my videos, my future videos. Uh, those are all games that are viable. So that's 100 potential episodes. And uh, the audience can vote and decide which ones they're going to be doing. And so f- as far as what's down the pipeline, just look at what's uh, resting at the top. And while necessarily, while some of them still kind of need some baking time, I like to call it. Like there's there's some potential there, but it would be like a really janky episode for a game that's really important and really popular. You know, I don't want to half. Um, am I allowed to curse? Is that something? Yeah, absolutely. I don't want to half ass it. You know, um, like Mario Kart, Breath of the Wild, two games um, are certainly possible to make something out of. But let's be honest, if um, if it's not a full boundary break, if it's not, if I can't get as much cool. potential out of it as possible, I'm letting you guys down, and I I just don't want to do it. But um, if they're that popular, if they're that, if they're in that much of a demand, it kind of lights a fire underneath my butt to like just try to knock on some doors and see if there's anything I can do to get these cameras. But uh, further down the list, you'll find many games that are totally viable, and I'll probably be covering them very soon. Awesome. Um, I am genuinely looking forward to them. And I hope that if ever any tools specifically for Nier Automata comes out, you jump on it. <laughs> just just, just do it. Don't even think about an audience. Don't even think if anyone's going to watch it. I'll it watch might it be a possible. billion times. You'll watch it a billion times? I'll hold you to it. I would watch it a billion times. <laughs> okay, well... So long as you give me the views, I'll, I'll definitely... <laughs> no, I, I think I think that one's popular enough. Do you want to tell people where they can find you then, for those that don't know? Yeah, guys, just uh, go on YouTube and just put in the search engine Boundary Break, and you'll find me right there. Outside of that, you can find me on Twitter. Uh, I'm at Boundary Break. Uh, I like to give a lot of really interesting stuff. I'm de- definitely an entertaining person to follow. I like to believe. Ryan, do you agree? I do agree. Okay. <laughs> no, I'm glad. And Patreon. And you're on Patreon. 
Oh, don't worry about that. <laughs> what? I'm going to plug mine. Uh, but you can find him on Patreon as well. So go go, go give him a couple of bucks so we can get more, so we can get more videos. Um, as for me, you can find me uh, at Toad's Anime. Don't ask about the name. Um, it's like 12 years old <laughs> when I was 12 years old. Please don't judge me. Um, you can find me at Toad's Anime on Twitter and uh, again on Patreon and pretty much everywhere else as well. So yeah, that's us done. Thank you for listening, peepages. Um, and thank you very much for coming on. This was genuinely awesome. No, this is awesome, dude. Thanks for having me. No problem. And I look forward to your new videos. So we shall say goodbye for now. Bye, peeps. Bye. Later. It's <laughs>